Welcome back, Kofkin Bond listeners, here for episode 93, and I've got my favourite man on, and sorry, Tony, but Matty Leach, welcome back to the podcast, mate. Hey, thanks for having me again. So, so uh, how's, how's life up in Sydney? My man, it's been good. Um, yeah, very very sunny lately. Um, it's been a crazy January, and obviously Australia Day right in the middle of it, but yeah, things are flying. We're we're loving it, but um, I am missing my partner in crime at the moment. So Lucy, my colleague here in Sydney, is away at the moment. So, yeah, very busy. All hands on deck. All hands on deck, and <laughs> yeah. Melbourne, Melbourne's running around after you. But look, mate, we uh, some interesting topics today, and you're a great one to have in to talk about it. Um, but we're going to talk about some of the experiences you've had with, as an advisor, um, and some of the behaviours that you've seen from clients um, and people that you've met throughout the industry. So, do you want to sort of introduce the topic? Yeah, so I thought it would be really interesting, and I couldn't see that we've touched on it before in other podcasts, but just wanted to talk about some of the biases that we have as humans, and especially, you know, there's there's no doubt that finance and emotions are tied together, you know, and it's very sometimes hard to be objective about finance when you really should be. So one of the big things we say in meetings is that, you know, financial planning would be so easy if you took the human out of it. If it was just about the numbers, it's very straightforward. You just take what's logical sense. But naturally, we're dealing with a person in front of us as well who, you know, has high, um, it's high emotions around what to do with their money and their future and their hard work. So we've got to take that into account when we're advising people. So um, what I want to talk about today and cover off is just three sort of behavioural biases that we see. There's lots out there and I'd encourage you to have a read because it does point out what some of the pitfalls are that we find ourselves in when we're trying to invest or we're trying to make some sort of big decision in our life. And these biases can really just um, hold us back or get in our, our own way. So with that in mind, I would like to kind of just go through three. I might just kind of read out just a short definition on each of them. Um, I've actually got this from the Magellan Group's um, website. I thought it was really good what they had on their website around these biases. And they've actually got a few down there. So I'd encourage you to go to magellan.com.au and you can actually check out some of those. Um, so the three I want to talk about is confirmation bias. The second is information bias. And then the third is what we call loss aversion. So um, if you can just let me go through. So confirmation bias is uh, the natural human tendency to seek or emphasize information that confirms an existing conclusion or hypothesis. So you can sort of imagine, or you can sort of understand here that with uh, confirmation bias, we're gonna find things that confirm our mental narrative. So sometimes I've seen this where people will go, oh, I need wanna buy this particular share because uh, I bought it before and I did well on it. So that, confirmation bias they're sort of wanting to like confirm what they already know or um as opposed to being objective about a decision isn't this, um, isn't, this, isn't this every argument on social media they just go and find stats that prove they're right um, well their opinion <laughs> interestingly what we're seeing in social media is that the um algorithms are showing you more of what you like and what you know yeah. You're not getting sometimes the full story. And I don't want to get too political, but, you know, there's that argument around what's happening in the US around there's really two sides. And based on where you get your news is that is exactly what we're talking about here. That is confirmation bias. You want to read articles. You want to see news that fits the narrative in your head. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really dangerous thing because then we're only getting, you know, a segment of information. We're only getting a little piece of the pie when, really there's so much more we need to take into consideration and be objective about. Yeah. So I'm sure you can imagine a time, Jamie, when that's happened to you. Have you done that with shares before? Uh, I, 
Yeah, I actually have. Uh, <laughs> my, my favourite one is when I was younger and it was just Telstra. Um, and I'm still to this day. And I think everyone's made that one. But I uh, just remember just because I'd done something with them before, I knew about them, I found the information that I wanted to find. Um, and, and I just went for it and, and it, was a, it was a mistake at that point. I think that's happening now more than ever. Um, because of the different news outlets that we can get. And look, this doesn't just have to be political. It can be a lot, a lot of different things, but you're going to want to see the things that fit your bias. And I just think that's such a thing that it, we may not be able to untangle those, those things, but at least be aware that it's there. And I think sometimes by having, you know, a third party like an advisor means you can be objective. Like if we sit with someone and we can see a confirmation bias, we're going to, we're going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's, that's powerful. That's in itself value. Um, and, and, I, and that's why we get other people in the room um, when we're having our investment committees to talk about that as well, because we don't want to be sitting here saying that we know it all and we're probably looking for our own. So we cool. need to go out and seek advice as well. Here's a perfect example. I have an advisor. Yeah. Because naturally, if it, when it comes to my own situation, I am going to have confirmation bias, whether I like it or not. Um, when I can look at other people's um, situations and portfolios, I feel like I can be objective. Um, but yeah, when it comes to your own, it's just different. <laughs> so um, that's confirmation bias. So I'd encourage you to have a read and, and get a bit more of an idea if you feel like that resonates with you. The second one I'd like to just read a definition on is information bias. So um, information bias is the tendency to evaluate information, even when it is uh, useless in, un in understanding the problem or issue. The key in investing is to see the wood from the trees and to carefully evaluate information that is relevant to making a more informed investment decision and discard the irrelevant stuff. So how often, you know, do we see this where, uh, I've actually seen this quite a lot recently where, you know, whether it be after pay or they think, oh, this is, this is such a good opportunity and they've only got a little bit of information. But one of the things I do tell clients is a little bit of information can be dangerous sometimes it can actually make you take action when really you should not be acting on that small amount of information. And Jamie, I'm sure you've seen this before with all your years as well, but um, yeah, the information that you, you're going to make a decision on, it's not, it's not always the full piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think that's really interesting. And I, I have to be cautious of that as well. Like if you are reading information and we've got some great people in our business that do a lot of reading, um, and I can see that when they read things, they're looking at both sides, not just trying to look at or read things that is the narrative that they want to read. So I just, again, I think it's important just for people to be aware that these are things that are going to affect our decision-making, especially when investing. Yeah. Um, and loss aversion. Like I, I want to talk about loss aversion probably a bit more than the others because this really does affect people's decision-making. So I'll read the definition here. Loss aversion is the tendency for people to strongly prefer avoiding losses rather than obta obtaining gains. Closely related to loss aversion is the endowment effect, which occurs when people place a higher value on a good that they own um, on rather than something that they do not own. So again, like what we see there is sometimes people are probably too conservative. Um, some of our younger clients sometimes come in a little bit too conservative when they're more worried about losing money as opposed to gaining money. And through our risk profiling and conversations, we sort of know there is a sweet spot that you can find where people are willing to take the right amount of risk for the right amount of return. But how many times do we see people come in with a portfolio that, you know, it looks heavily weighted into a, an area that isn't really going to get them good upside. So 
the, that correlation is going the other way. I found it. I found it funny, and I can't remember who I was speaking to. So I, I sort of hate that I don't have the sort of reference, but it feels like my generation and you know i'm stuck in that millennial one but we, we aren't taking enough risk with our investments um and we're not we're not giving advice here or anything like that but mm. yeah we are very conservative in the way that we invest oh completely and i think what what we've seen sort of for a long period of time is we're in that low interest rate environment um and you know imagine if you borrowed money to invest in this this low interest rate environment but you had most or a part of the portfolio let's say it's 30 percent defensive which means that uh, you've got money in fixed interest, which really is not returning. You're guaranteed for potentially a no return there. Um, so we are incentivized to, to run stocks at the moment. And again, I, I, this isn't advice. Everyone's situation needs to be um, dealt with on its own. But um, yeah, you just see people don't take action is probably the big, the big word, um, but what risk they should be taking for the adequate return. Um, so I just wanted to talk about three of those today. I'd really encourage um, our listeners to read more of them because they are really interesting. Um, and I think sometimes you'll read one that sort of resonates more with maybe decisions you make with work or maybe um, normal lifestyle choices, but definitely the way we invest. And I think the scary one around loss aversion is people um, really, because of fear, won't take the right amount of action. Um, and that that's really Again, if we can just educate people on what is in front of them and how to make a decision and why it's a good one, um, then this is a, this is a non-issue. But again, with all these three biases, you need someone that I think is being objective, a third party, even if it's um, a distant friend or a distant relative that doesn't have too much, you know, um, vested interest in what you're doing. But anyway, if you yeah, can't speak to any family, yeah. <laughs> speak to an advisor. On that though, how do you how do you speak to your client with your clients? And I know when you sort of first meet people, you do run through a little bit of this with them. Um, you know, we won't delve too deep because we'll be here for a while. But <laughs> how do you cover some of these topics when you're talking to your clients? To be honest, it's I don't bring these up in every meeting. Um, sometimes it, it it is a rabbit hole, as you know. It's probably a case of that we're aware of it and sometimes making clients aware of the blind spots when they're investing, but then, you know, what we're going to do or how we're going to go about this going forward. And again, like the answer to a lot of this sometimes is actually just knowledge, education, transparency. And then, you know, they can see clarity is a big one as well, but then they can see that, okay, I've got this blind spot. I'm, I'm going to hand it over to you and you guys are going to just do this from an objective point of view. But coming back to meetings, there's a lot of um, behavioral finance, I guess is the, the trendy term at the moment that applies to a lot of our meetings. Um, one that isn't involved with biases, but more from my own kind of experience with meeting people. Um, we go through this really interesting exercise. And if you're listening back, um, back on at the moment, you could probably run through this, um, this exercise if you like. So picture this, we're, we're in a meeting, we've got um, partners sitting down. Um, and one of the questions that we wanna understand is what were their parents like with money? And if you ask yourself, what was your dad like with money? What was your mother like with money? Or if you didn't have a parent, who was that role model, whether it be a step parent, whether it's a grandparent, um, who was that person that was kind of your role model and where did you learn money behaviors from? So this is such an interesting space and the old, the old sort of uh, story of opposites attract has never been more true in this example. I can't tell you how many times we sit there and one of the partners is a spender 
the other one's more frugal and more um, probably reads more about finance, probably a bit more aware. You just see it over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter about sex. It's, it's interchangeable. It really doesn't matter. But what we're asking for, and the, the, the example would be, okay, what was mum like? Great. What decisions did she make? What were the good ones she made? What was the poor decisions that she made? Okay, great. What was dad like? What was he like with money? What were the good decisions, bad decisions? And then often what we like to ask that client is if you could go back in time to when your parents are your age, what advice would you give your parents? So, Jamie, you're, what are you now, mid-20s? <laughs> I'm not going to 30 this year. No. <laughs> I didn't want to say. Um, so the, the example would be, Jamie, if you could go back in time and sit with your parents and they're your age, what would be the advice that you'd give them? Um, and what is so interesting when I run this exercise is often the advice that we should be giving our parents is the exact same advice we should be taking ourselves. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many times that's been the perfect equation where, you know, I really want my, my parents, I wish they'd got more educated with money. I wish they'd held on to that property. I wish they'd bought shares earlier in their life. Like taking action was, is a big one. But then often, you know, we're meeting the clients in their, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s or whatever. And that same advice rings true for them. They need to be, you know, uh, upskilled in their knowledge. They need to be taking some sort of financial action. So um, what's good for our parents is good for us, interestingly enough. Um, well, we do that with... We did this, Matt. Um, we actually did this when you come down and we had the teams meeting and things like that. We, we got off track, but it was fantastic to see because we had two generations there. We had Tony and Boyana talking about their parents. Um, mm. And then we had Josh and Jeremy sitting in here and saying how they viewed Tony and Boyana as well. Correct. Well, that's the next thing. It's interesting to see how it all sort of worked together in real life. Um, and just the way that, you, you know, if you think deeply about it, it does open so many avenues for you to take action. Well, yeah, we want to tackle, we want to tackle those things, the gaps. It's blind spots. Um, so, yeah, like interestingly, the, let's say it's the couples in their 30s. We've talked uh, about both their sets of parents or grandparents or whoever their role models are. Um, and we've really flushed out. And again, what you'll see is that opposites attract over and over again in each, each relationship. Um, but interesting, the next phase of that is, okay, great. So you've got kids and they're, you know, let's say they're in their primary school years, they're quite young. And then the conversation is, well, what, what advice or what do we want the kids to say about your use of money and, and the decisions that you made? Now, those kids are five and or, you know, 10 or whatever, they're quite young at the moment. But what we're trying to do is, Okay, you've learned from your parents' mistakes in a sense or, or just learning from what they did or didn't do. But then um, what we look at is how do you want to go forward from here? How do you, what do we want our kids to say about your use of money? So now we're taking control of how we use it. And uh, there, is, uh, there is a, I don't know if there's a term around it, but there's all, also like how people are unconscious with money. There's like an unconsciousness use of money where people spend and not really thinking about it. So anyway, that's a really interesting space. But I, the one um, clear point I'd like you to take is we either rebel or adopt one of our parents, one of those behaviours. Um, and often what's interesting is our, the, the partner that we meet is the opposite of you. And it, you just see it flow on and on. It's, it's a fascinating space. And to other advisors that obviously listen to the channel, um, if you ever get the opportunity to sit there and run through that exercise, I'd be more than happy to share it with you, but it's such a powerful exercise and everyone learns something out of it.
Yeah, have you found by doing it as well that it actually also provides education to the next generation that they're sitting with their kids and because it's opened them up to say, actually, this is how we want to teach our kids that they've started to have those conversations more and more. So I guess thinking about the parents that have got kids around that 17 years of age and they're, they're just starting out 18, they're just starting out in their first jobs and things like that. Have you found clients are talking to them more? Yeah, I think that's just an awareness thing. And look, it depends on the child. They've got other things going on, but the earlier that you can have your kids having an understanding of making good financial decisions makes a huge difference. Yep. The difference between, a, 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 you know, let's say there's a young female who is 21. The difference between that female buying a property at 21 or 30, like the growth and the, the upside in life and the, creati- the creation of options is huge. Um, so the, the earlier we start in life, the better. Um, so, yeah, one of the education points that we like to talk about is if, if couples are in a position to help, how do we help in a meaningful way? But you also don't want to give things on a platter because then we don't sort of, you know, this is probably delving into more and more, but, you know, um, there's a saying that it takes two generations to make it and one to, <laughs> to blow it. Um, and that's sometimes through, you know, we, we start to spoil children with money and you start to see some of these things roll out. Um, and then there's that disconnect with the value of money and, that's a very dangerous place to be. Um, and the younger we inherit or uh, have a, a big transfer or win, win lotto, lotto um, that money is often gone within two years uh, because there is no value around it. If that same person won lotto or got an inheritance at 30, um, the decision-making around what they do with that money is extremely different. So, yeah, another, another big one that, to be aware of. Maddie, thanks very much for today. I love those topics, and it's uh, you know when, when I watch that, when I watch you do it with the team and things like that, I, I you know it's just a it's just awesome to see people's minds open up um, and just understand as you were talking about sort of blind spots, um, and it's good to start to know your own blind spots and to start to talk through them. So as you said, you can take action. Yeah, you've got to be conscious and making good choices, and um, I think you know good advisors help clients do that. So yeah. Um, but yeah, if anyone, you know, any of our listeners have any more questions around that, or you'd like to run that exercise just as a, as an interesting thing, I'd, I'd be more than happy to do that. I just think it's a very fascinating space. And, um, there's a bit of a flow chart that I draw around that just so it gives you a bit of a visual tool. So I'd encourage anyone that's listening, if you'd like to have a chat more than, more than happy to help. Awesome. Maddie, thanks very much for today. And we look forward to another podcast with you soon. My pleasure.